0: Hey, it's Guy Raz here, and I am excited to introduce you to my friend Mindy Thomas. She is the co-host of NPR's incredible new podcast for kids. It's called Wow in the World, and every week we'll take you and your kids on amazing adventures through the world of wonder and mystery and imagination.
1: Subscribe to Wow in the World, however you get your podcasts. Wow.
0: Now, before we start, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to The Big Listen. I would give you all a hug if I could. If you love the show or you just want to take us out for a platonic coffee date, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other people, very attractive listeners such as yourselves, find the show. So thanks. Now, let's start the show. A couple days ago, I asked Big Listen producer Poncey Rutch to go talk to some people on the streets of our fine capital city about what podcasts they were listening to. You wouldn't happen to be listening to a podcast, would you? Yes, I am. <laughs> what are you listening to?
2: I listen to the Guardian Football Weekly. I listen to pro wrestling podcasts.
3: Pro wrestling podcasts? Like yeah. what?
2: Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard.
3: Stuff you should know, and I love to listen to...
0: Um, the Mormon Channel podcast, and I like to listen to uh, Nerdfighteria. Wait, no, Dear Hank and John. Um, I like to listen to a lot of them, actually. It seems like these days there's a podcast for everyone, from pro wrestling fans to Mormons and sometimes it seems like everyone on the planet is trying to have a podcast.
1: Yeah, dude, my mom's actually trying to start one. No kidding? Yeah.
0: uh, He's taking
2: podcast classes, as a matter of fact.
0: Good for her. All kinds of folks are listening to podcasts, in terms of race and ethnicity, even in terms of political affiliation. Podcast listeners look pretty much like the nation. But podcast hosts, well, that is a whole other ball of wax. Are any of the uh, hosts of the shows that you listen to not white guys? That's a good question. Let me just pull up my
1: straight white dude meet meter here. Uh, <laughs> well, I listen to Savage Lovecast. He's definitely, right. he's white and he's a dude. But, But.
0: diversifying one's sexual orientation yes. roster. Okay. Um, that might be it. I'm Lauren Ober, and from WAMU and NPR, this is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have ever heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. So we sent Ponzi out to ask people about their podcast predilections because I wanted to see if listeners are paying attention to the race of the people hosting the shows they listen to.
4: I don't know. I mean, I listen to radios. I don't know what what, what color they are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good point. It's an audio yeah. medium. Yeah. Right. The reason we were asking people about this is because recently the Knight Foundation produced a report all about the nitty-gritty of podcasting. It's dense, so I won't bore you with all the findings. But one conclusion of note is that, quote, diversity remains a challenge, end quote as in diversity of podcast hosts.
5: Are any of the people on the shows that you listen to um, not white dudes?
2: No, they're not. Actually, there's one, there's one. Um, I can't remember his name, it's Charles something. I'm not sure uh, his whole name, but yeah.
0: uh. Mm, So clearly there's work to be done. Later in the show, we'll talk to a guy who's trying to do that good work to make the podcast landscape sound a little bit more like America. But first, a podcaster who was on a fact-finding mission of her own. When Sam Sabin was in college, her mother called her to tell her that her father had died. The call came on January 12th,
5: 2015. My mom asked if I was alone. I was. She asked me, can you go grab someone? I mean, mom, there are people upstairs. What, what's going on? I asked her. Well, your father's dead. Okay,
0: I said. Okay? Yeah, I didn't know him at all. It's really fine. Sam's father left the family when his daughter was five years old. Ever since, he was persona non grata in Sam's family. She didn't know much about him as a result. No one talked about him. I knew he was a father to three
5: other sons who didn't even know I existed. I knew he was adopted and went through foster care. And I knew he was half Native American, but it wasn't clear what tribe he belonged to because of his adoption.
0: And thus began her journey to uncover her father's Native heritage, and in turn, her own. She's chronicling her quest in a podcast called Good Grief. Sam Sabin, welcome to The Big Listen. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, Okay, so why don't you just explain the premise of your show for me, yeah,
5: yeah. So the show follows me, Sam Saban, as <laughs> I, um, kind of in the aftermath a year after my biological father passed away. Um, he was estranged, and in his obituary, I kind of learned more about my Mohawk ancestry. The show kind of follows me as I take a trip up to the Mohawk Reservation. I kind of ask all these questions like, who am I? And they're like, I don't know who you are. Um, and I'm like, let's start over. Um, and kind of delves into a few other questions that come from that trip. In the weeks following my father's passing, I found some of the answers to my questions simply by reading his obituary the local
3: paper.
5: Robert, Bob, Joseph Saban, age 55, passed suddenly Saturday, January 10th, 2015, while mountain biking with friends. He was born February 8th in Syracuse, New York, and relocated to Ridgewood, New Jersey. Bob was a member of the St. Regis Mohawk Native American tribe. And suddenly, that door didn't feel so closed.
0: So when you when you found his obituary and you read, you know, that he was a member of the St. Regis Mohawk tribe, what did that say to you? What did what went through your brain um, when when you learned that? Because I think that that was one thing, you note in the show is you always knew that you had Native ancestry, but it 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 didn't mean anything necessarily because it wasn't specific.
5: I remember feeling a lot of excitement, which was really weird because like 10 minutes before I was like, oh, but my father is dead. Growing up, a lot of people were like, oh, you must be Hispanic. Oh, you must be like there was always like a question as to what I was. And I was like, no, I'm white. I'm Mm -hmm. a white person. Like, Mm -hmm. what do you want from me? I think it was nice to put some sort of name to it. And then my initial response was, well, I'm one, I'm still white. Like, that is not, like, I did not grow up in this culture. That is not mine. Especially with that tribe, there are there's a whole long history of um, kind of having Mohawk children adopted out by, mm-hmm. like, white people and kind of whitewashing that history. So it kind of felt like I should at least try to research it, understand it, know what it means, so that way I'm not also kind of ignoring it and
0: whitewashing it in that right. way.
5: But it's still a little it's a little tricky
0: cuz i think that's a question that a lot of people have is sort of like where like where do i come from and for you great you find out about it you do a little internet research but then you actually decide to sort of make a pilgrimage of sorts uh this this journey to the the part of the country where your father's people were from
5: yeah yeah and it's interesting because the saint regis um, Mohawk tribe is in Akwesne, which is like the name of their territory. And it stretches over um, the New York state border and then Canada, both Quebec and Ontario. Um, so it's like, literally, I am on the Canadian border um, in a border town. It's very isolated. The minute I arrived in Akwesne, I felt uncomfortable and anxious As if I might say the wrong thing at the wrong time to upset someone or just come off as an ignorant white person who felt entitled to my native heritage. And it didn't help that going into this, I knew that some native people used the slang quarter turkey to describe someone like me who was only one-fourth native. So, of course, that uneasiness carried me through this trip. When I got to Akwasesne, I wasn't able to get out of bed for a few days. I hid under the covers in the Super 8 motel in a small New York town and watched Pretty Little Liars all day long.
0: There is that interesting part in in one of your episodes where you are confronted with, well, do you want to enroll? And I think, like, you can't just declare. Yeah. You have to enroll and be vetted and go through a pretty laborious process to prove that you are a member of this community, this tribe. I mean, it was something I had been thinking about since
5: I learned about it because I am a quarter and that's like that's a threshold for membership is mm-hmm. being a quarter. Um, and I was already kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's appropriate or like what. Driving back to the motel, I just found that I had a lot of conflicting feelings. Try again later. So now, I, I might be enrolling, I might be a member of this truck, ah! Um, I'm like really overwhelmed right now. Um, but I I just I have a lot of feelings about being a member. Um, Raised like this white human and now I have like all this say and like how this like native community runs itself. Like that, I don't Like, maybe I'm overthinking it, um, but it feels really weird to do that. Now, let Uh. me explain where my anxieties are coming from. I'm only a mere quarter native. For some people, that's considerable. But most of those people who think that aren't native. They aren't the people who have battled with the federal government or state or local governments for years on end over their sovereignty and many other issues. As I'm writing this episode, the protests over the Dakota Access Pipeline are oh so present, and I'm only hearing about it through my liberal friends' Facebook feeds, not through people who are in the community. And that's because I'm not tuned into that community. All in all, I am white, or at least I grew up white. So why do I deserve membership? So I kind of went into it with the idea of I'm going to base my decision based off of like the vibes I'm picking up Mm -hmm. from the people who I meet. I had a few days. um, And so when I was asked again, it was kind of immediate. I was like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. Like, why not? I remember overhearing. So I got dinner with like one of the tribal elders. And I remember um, he was like on the phone with his wife or someone. He was like yeah, you'll never believe this story. She just found out about it. Like, and now she's learning about it. She's a member. Isn't that great? And he was, like, very happy about it. He was very happy that, like, someone came and found their roots. And, like, mm-hmm. I think he also said, like, she found her roots here. And, like, oh. that
0: felt very comforting to me. Do you feel in any way that you are now a different person or that that, that your identity has changed or you have a different opinion of who you are mm,
5: mm-hmm. yes uh. <laughs> um, I think one enrolling has kind of helped me to feel like um, I can learn about native culture or the Mohawk culture specifically without feeling like a random human who's just kind of right. like, like
0: an interloper yeah yeah
5: um, so I kind of feel more welcome mm-hmm. to do that and I have my own story that's kind of pretty common now but then in general, I just feel like more accomplished or mm-hmm. more complete in a way now that I'm actually asking these questions and now that I'm actually like, yo, mom, we got to talk about this because <laughs> um, I'm now the same age my mom was when she had me. Mm-hmm. So I think it's even more important to kind of ask those questions of like, mom, who were you and how were you dealing with it? And how am I similar? Because um, we are very similar too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of have like, a pride in myself that mm-hmm. I carry around of like like I think it's just important to just have that courage to ask mm-hmm. um
0: I wonder so you have siblings from his other relationship yeah um are you in contact with those people I am now you are now yeah okay this is something we'll find out later uh-huh. on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> so we'll all just have to stay tuned and, and find, <laughs> to find out more about this. Okay. All right. I'm willing I'm willing to wait. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm willing to wait. Sam Sabin is the host of the independent podcast, Good Grief. To find out more about her show, check out BigListen.org. So remember at the beginning of the show when I sent our producer Ponzi out to talk to real people about what they were listening to? Are any of the uh, hosts of the shows that you listen to not white guys?
3: Terry Gross. <laughs>
0: <laughs> white lady. All right. She's a white All right. lady. All right. That's yeah. pretty good. Turns out that the Knight Foundation was right. Diversity continues to be a challenge in podcasting. Well, James T. Green is working to change that. He's one of the founders of the Post Loudness Collective.
3: Um, So Post Loudness is a collective of independent audio shows uh, that are hosted by people of color, women, um, and or queer identified hosts.
0: By day, James is a producer with the MTV News podcast Speed Dial, but he also co-hosts two of his own independent shows, Open Ended and Refresh. So he's definitely getting his voice heard.
3: I was talking with a buddy of mine and she's trans and she was talking about how, what a difference it makes when a trans movie features a trans actor and how that changes when the person who's acting is not trans and how the different kind of unspoken or unwritten characteristics in the character come out with um, someone who's acting who is trans And I think that kind of happens the same way with podcasting, as in if you have a podcaster that is talking about these issues and they share that intersection, they're going to have the conversation different than someone who doesn't share that intersection and is just kind of like talking about it from the top down.
0: James says as a Black and queer man, that sense of familiarity is important, but it's not the only thing.
3: Like, I feel more trust when I'm listening to a show that has, like, a Black host or a Black producer or someone Black that's behind the telling of this story, because I feel like those motives are a lot different in that way.
0: Later in the show, James is going to let us in on what he thinks it will take to widen the circle of podcasting. So stick around for that time for a lightning fast break now. But when we come back, we'll talk to writer and now podcaster Malcolm Gladwell about why he finds it so satisfying to make other people cry.
4: I've always been obsessed with tears. I think tears are the gold standard. Laughing totally easy. Tears hard.
0: That's coming up in just a sec on The Big Listen. Don't go anywhere. This is NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from Blue Apron. Blue Apron partners with sustainable farms, fisheries, and ranchers to bring you all the ingredients you need to create incredible home-cooked meals. Delicious. Invite me over. Ingredients come with an easy-to-follow recipe card delivered to your door weekly in a refrigerated box. So if you're too busy to grocery shop or you're just mad lazy, Blue Apron is your new best friend. I know you thought it was me, but it's probably actually Blue Apron. So get your first three Blue Apron meals free plus free shipping by visiting blueapron.com big. Hi, Lauren this
4: is Robin in Santa Rosa California continuing my New Year's resolution of calling every week with a podcast recommendation Uh, I've added you to my iPhone contact so I've made it even easier for myself this week the podcast I want to recommend is called human nature the stories are always about uh, when human beings Uh, come in contact with nature and
6: all the different amazing things that can happen. And there's one that really rocked my world about a young man and his experiences traveling all over Mexico and South America with a donkey.
3: Uh, I mean, how do you take care of a donkey? Like, what does a donkey eat? How much does it drink? How much can it carry? How far can it walk? Does it need horseshoes? Like, do you need to deworm it? Do you need to get (laughs) vaccinations? Like, there's an endless list of things.
4: So anyway, Human Nature out of Wyoming Public Media, highly recommended. Thank you. Bye.
0: Hey, pals. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I am dying to know what's on your playlist. Call us on the pod line and let us know. Unlike some members of Congress, we never turn our phones off here. The number is 202-885-POD1. If you can't get Paul Ryan on the horn, give us a bell. Now, you might know our next guest as the best-selling author of books like The Tipping Point or Blink or David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. Or you may know him from one of his many inspiring talks online, Or you may just know him as that smart guy with the amazing hair and glasses. But for our purposes, he's the person behind the podcast Revisionist History.
4: My name is Malcolm Glauber. Welcome to Revisionist History, where every week we go back and look at something misunderstood or overlooked.
0: In its debut season, Revisionist History looked at many misunderstood truths. The Toyota floor mat recall, the underhand foul shot and the evolution of Elvis Costello's song, Deportee. It's narrative journalism mixed with social science, which is to say it is very Gladwellian.
4: This episode is devoted to the Toyota sudden acceleration scandal. Chances are you heard at least some part of that 911 tape before. Maybe you had a Toyota at the time and had a sudden pang of worry. What I want to do is go back to 2009 and convince you that something went very wrong in the way the controversy played out. Very wrong.
0: Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you. Um, thank you. You have a, such a soothing voice.
4: Well, that's very nice if you're coming from a radio <laughs> professional.
0: <laughs> All right. So first I want to know, why? why would you want to do a podcast? Because you've written many successful books. You're a great thinker and a storyteller. You have amazing hair. Why, why get into podcasting?
4: <laughs> well, my friend Jacob came to me, and he has a little podcasting company, Panoply, and he suggested it, and it sounded like a really great procrastination, that <laughs> I wouldn't have to write books for a while. But halfway through, I realized, A, this is an extraordinary amount of work, and B, it's really fun. <laughs> so now I'm mm-hmm. hooked, because audio is all about emotion.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Right, I mean it's the your ability to communicate emotion is heightened a hundredfold.
0: I I listened to you um, being interviewed on the podcast Recode Media, and you talked about how you <laughs> that podcasting was this opportunity for you basically to make people cry. Um, yeah, is the...
4: <laughs> I'm obsessed with that.
0: <laughs> tell tell <laughs> me why. I mean, are you you're like Barbara Walters of the of the audio? Uh,
4: I mean. That's first of all. That's the single greatest thing anyone's ever <laughs> said to me. I've always been obsessed with tears. I think tears are the gold standard. <laughs> Laughing totally easy. Tears hard. Everyone looks down on people who make you cry. I find this so wrong. And we all. It's always like we use the phrase, "Oh, it's a tearjerker." Uh-huh. Like that's a put down. Why is that a put down? Right. I find that astonishing. If someone said of something I had done that it was a tearjerker, I would take that to my grave. I would put it on my tombstone.
0: Right. Um, so, if we're talking about crying, uh, there is one episode that you did in particular um, in, your, in your last season of Revisionist History that uh, that really was a tearjerker. Generous orthodoxy.
4: I heard this story. I went home, and my I come from an area of Ontario that is Mennonite country. Lots of Mennonites, mm-hmm. and I went home. Um, last Christmas and everyone was talking about a letter that a Mennonite pastor had written. His son was gay and uh, he, this Mennonite minister, this 98-year-old man, had married his son and his son's partner Mm. in contravention of his church's teachings. And he wrote this extraordinarily beautiful letter explaining why he did what he did but also at the same time explaining why he did not, why he wasn't turning his back on his church because the church excommunicated him as a Mm -hmm. result of this Mm -hmm. marriage ceremony. And he was graciously accepting their judgment and at the same time explaining why he disagreed with it. Mm -hmm. And I thought of that, I read this letter and I was like, this is such an extraordinary model of how to deal with disagreement and how to win people's hearts. Mm -hmm. And so I went to see him and I sat in his little living room in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, with his son. And we, he just told the whole story.
2: Growing up, I had no awareness of homosexuality anywhere. I uh, remember somewhere along the line, maybe when I was early adolescence, that they talked about uh, a cousin of mine, but I didn't, I didn't know what they were talking about.
4: The question of whether someone might be gay simply never occurred to him. And it goes without saying that a community that did not permit the ordination of women until quite recently did not have progressive views on homosexuality. But one day, Phil pulled his father aside. What did he tell you? I don't know the words he used, but uh, I, I understood that he had attraction for males instead of females. And I said, maybe you can outgrow this. And uh, I, so that's where that's where we left it. And about a year later, he came back and, and said, "Dad, I haven't outgrown it." He was focused so, on his son's relationship is, with God. That's what he cared about. He's right. like, I don't, "What his son did was a secondary consequence. The primary thing was his son's relationship with God." And the idea that he could see that and put that, make understand that that was the priority at that moment of greatest kind of family travail was just, I mean, it was so moving. Mm -hmm. He's sitting in his chair, straight back, 98 years old. Colonel Sanders meets a linebacker, a man of God. And as Chester Wenger talks about that moment years ago, when he worried that his son's soul was in jeopardy, he starts to weep. And uh, I guess there was no expression at that point particularly, but as he went to go out the door, He gave a broad smile. That touched her hard, that
1: touched mine. Don't give up on Jesus. And he seemed to accept it with a smile. And that, uh, that touched us very deeply.
0: There's another one of your episodes I feel like very much applies to now. And that was the very first episode you did, A Lady Vanishes. It's about a female artist. She's tokenized as, as a female artist. But and you are talking about how, um, you know, virtually no countries that have elected a female leader have ever done it again. And I mean, that could be extended, I- I'm assuming, to now. I mean, we had our first African-American president. And now all yeah. I thought of <laughs> after I listened to that episode was, well, well, great. I mean, we've patted ourselves on the back. And n- now what does that mean for us?
4: Yeah. The idea is this idea called moral licensing, which says that when people commit a a kind of generous act, they often compensate. that gives them license to then go back to being the way they were before or even worse. So I do something incredibly kind to someone and that gives me license then to turn my back on them in some other context. And so, you know, you vote for an African-American president and that frees you up then to say all kinds of and do all kinds of nasty racist things because you can always say, look, I voted for Barack Obama. Don't, you can't call me racist, right? It's the some of my best friends are black phenomenon. Sure. Why don't good deeds just lead to more good deeds?
0: So your question is about when does evidence that I'm virtuous lead to more virtuous behavior? Versus when does evidence of virtue lead to less virtuous behavior? When does doing good lead to doing bad, and when does doing good lead to doing more good? This is the million-dollar question in this literature, and it's it's been a puzzle. All we know
4: is that human beings go both ways. After a good deed, they sometimes follow a virtuous trajectory, and sometimes they don't.
0: Not all of your stories... It's not easy to see what is tying them all together, except that they are sort of rooted in, you know, a, you're sort of interrogating a, a person in the past or an idea in the past and sort of seeing how it might have been rep- misrepresented or, or misunderstood. Is, um, how are you landing on, on these stories?
4: You know, the rubric of revisionist history is simply an excuse for me to talk about whatever <laughs> I want to talk about.
0: But I actually, I, I liked it because what I learned from the show is that you're a sports guy. I am. And you're a car guy. Yes, I am. And these aren't necessarily two things I would I would necessarily think of because we have, you know, we have terrible stereotypes. Wait, you
4: had a stereotype of me that did not include the fact <laughs> I might be a sports fan I like cars?
0: <laughs> Who do you think I am? I like I mean, I'm like I a think man. You're, I, <laughs> Listen. That's I, what that's are. what we're into.
4: Sports and cars.
0: <laughs> I want to know why did you want to dive into the underhand free throw? Is this something that was like stuck in your craw for a long time as a sports guy?
4: I've always been puzzled by the fact that there are people on basketball teams, professional basketball teams who get paid millions of dollars every year, who routinely get fouled and then they go to the foul line and they can't make their foul shots. And it strikes me as really weird because they're these are not normal people. These are people who are in the 99.9th percentile right. of athletic ability in the world. And even more curiously, mm. they don't change. Right. Like the stuff I do badly, either I give it up or I try to do it better, <laughs> right? I don't keep doing the bad thing. Right. So why do they keep doing the bad thing? So I this would drive me crazy. It's like, you know, you'd watch these b- basketball playoffs, you know, and they start hacking you know, Shaquille O'Neal, and Shaquille goes to the line and he and misses he the foul right. shot, and you're like, Shaquille, dude, just try and shoot it differently if right. you can't do it that way.
0: Chamberlain on the line, foul shot up in the air, he has 84.
4: What Rick Barry will tell you is that shooting underhanded is simply a better way to make foul shots. And he knows that because he was one of the greatest foul shooters of all time, maybe the greatest. I missed nine and 10 in one season and nine in another in the whole season. To put that in perspective, LeBron James, the greatest player of the current basketball generation, typically misses about 150 free throws a season. Rick Barry would miss nine or 10. I think I shot 93-5
2: or something in 94-7, something like that.
4: And Rick Barry only shot underhanded.
2: From a physics standpoint, it's, it's a much better way to shoot. Less things that can go wrong, less things that you have to worry about repeating properly in order for it to be successful. But the other thing is, is that who walks around like this?
4: Yeah, with their hands in the air. This is
2: not a natural position. Yeah. When I shoot underhanded free throws, where are my arms? Hanging straight down the way they are normally. And so I'm totally and completely relaxed. It's not in a situation where I have to worry about my muscles getting tense or tight.
0: You know, I was thinking about this because what you're doing is you're looking in the rearview mirror and, and sort of crafting a different perspective or finding a different understanding. And I wonder if there's a way that we can sort of better understand the truth in real time? I don't know. I
4: mean, you can't because you can't make sense of the moment when you're in the moment. It's impossible. We don't know, ultimately, when we look back on what's going on right now, so 10 years from now, we will see trends and things that we don't, we can't see now. Um, and that just is kind of uh, that reminder of how extraordinarily subjective our interpretation of events is. Um, is a good one. Mm. Um, you know, it just sort of, it, 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 it allows you, I think, to turn down the volume on some of the partisan argumentation um, just when we understand these things are complicated, you know, and we're not going to be able to figure it out for another 10 years.
0: Malcolm Gladwell is the host of Revisionist History from Panoply. To learn more about his show, head on over to our website, biglisten.org. It's time for another quick break, but when we come back, we'll ask the hosts of the podcast, Who Weekly, to review some really bad celebrity podcasts.
6: We really try and uphold the standard of that this is ultimately just like shameless uh, celebrity journalism and we are like obsessed with it.
0: That's coming up in just a minute. Stay tuned. This is NPR. Hey, pals, thanks for listening to The Big Listen. I wanted to tell you about a new way to get the news each morning. Up First is the morning news podcast from NPR. You just need to give us 10 minutes or so and you get the sense of the stories and the big ideas of the day. You know, the stuff you really need to know and why it matters. So start your day with Up First, weekday mornings by 6 a.m. Eastern time on the NPR One app or wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Hello, this is Erwin Rosenthal calling from Woodstock, New York. My favorite podcast is the China History Podcast, run by Laszlo Montgomery. Hi, everybody.
1: Laszlo Montgomery here. But think thinking about getting some intro music, maybe spruce up the CHP a little in 2017.
2: He's a very sarcastic, brilliant man who gives us a view of... Not only the Chinese, but often, more interestingly, Western people who have gone to China and their experience there. Um, I'd especially recommend the two parts on Morris Tugun Cohen. I guess you could call him a a hustler, a salesman, a con man. And he had this P.T. Barnum-esque
1: sense of self-promotion
2: although others are equally wonderful. Thanks for listening, and thanks for having this podcast. Bye-bye.
0: Hey, pals. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Over, and I have a feeling you are desperate to tell me what you're listening to these days. Give us a jingle on the pod line at 202-885-POD1, then you'll feel like you really accomplished something today, which is like a big deal because sometimes it's just really hard to get motivated. You know what I mean? So normally, this would be the part of the show we call Listen Up where we grill super cool people about what podcasts they are putting their ears on. But this week, we have a special treat. This week, we asked our pals at the delightful show, Who Weekly, to review some podcasts for us. But not just any podcasts celebrity podcasts.
1: Welcome to Who Weekly, the podcast where you'll learn everything you need to know about all the celebrities you don't. I'm Bobby Finger.
0: I'm Lindsay Weber. Who Weekly is a show whose stock and trade is minor celebrities, like deep minor celebrities. The hosts, Lindsey Weber and Bobby Finger, divide the world into who's and them's. Them's are A-listers. Them's are people we know, uh, celebrities whose names your parents know. For example, actor Brian Cranston would be a them. Brian Tanaka, who is apparently Mariah Carey's boyfriend, is a who.
6: Like you're at a you're at the grocery market and you're looking at all the magazines you're never gonna buy, and you see on the cover and you're like, I have no idea who, who that is.
1: Who is Julianne Huff? <laughs> who is any Huff?
0: Hosts Bobby Finger and Lindsay Weber actually started Who Weekly as a newsletter. We, and newsletters were a hot man. They were hot. hot.
1: We combined, we we sort of compiled our favorite links about celebrities we didn't know about for the week, and then I would create a, um, a fake magazine cover for it. There was like a fake magazine cover every week that had like the biggest headlines. So it was like Us Weekly, but instead of Taylor Swift and George Clooney, it was one of the Huffs, Rita Ora, and then, you know, Selena Gomez's <laughs> sister. Um, yeah. And that sort of was hard to keep up with just because newsletters aren't exactly fun to... Make and if you're not having fun no. making something, you don't keep up with it. And this it is the, was a new, a new, a new, it was it was fun, but after after a few months we gave up on it. Um, and it was easy to pass we it off. We found a
6: new medium. But one
1: of our things, Lindsay and I have worked on a lot of things over the several years yeah, of our friendship. six we had a parody Twitter when that was
6: hot. We had um, we've
0: done every dumb and platform. They, <laughs> and
1: this is the longest lasting one. I think it's the one that we enjoy the most.
0: So why? What is your interest in celebrities, or particularly um, the sort of the, the who celebrities or the, uh, the the deep D-list kind of people. Deep D-list.
1: The appeal comes from, it seems less invasive than normal celebrity gossip because the people we're talking about are the people who are desperate to be yeah. talked about. Yeah. And so it sort of makes it, it allows it to be more fun whenever you're talking about people who are so thirsty for attention. And like, we are happy to drown them in attention. We love it. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think <laughs> the fact that it's people who want it Yeah, makes it more entertaining and enjoyable.
6: I think the whole thing is people always see who is like a negative thing when we love celebrities, we love celebrity gossip, and -hmm. this stuff thrills us to no end. So when we, you know, make fun or joke gently, we really try and uphold the standard of that. This is ultimately just like shameless uh, celebrity journalism and we are like obsessed with it.
0: So one thing that I have noticed recently is how many of these folks then landed in the podcast world. Oh, man. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wonder <laughs> why you think that is. Like, why does there, it's like, it's like before everyone needed to have a clothing line and, you know, and an album. And then they were also in a movie and then now they all have a podcast. I mean, is there nothing more like ego driven than like listening yourself speak? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's
0: probably
6: true. I mean, I think it's like the perfect format for them, right? Like they all want to have talk shows, mm-hmm. but they can't get talk shows. So like the next best thing is to have a podcast. And they all have celebrity friends or, quote, unquote, celebrity friends that yeah. they can ask to come on
0: the show with them. I mean. OK, so so there are all of these. There are so many. There's so many. Celebrity. Mm. And I use that, I think. And I, I'm assuming you guys do to This celebrity term liberally. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you have to. But there are a lot of these celebrity podcasts. And I asked you to listen to some.
1: <laughs> we had homework.
0: I mean, look, it's like someone's got to listen to some, them. Sure. People
6: do, which is what is crazy. You start with yours. Okay, Bobby. I you're started, so angry.
1: Uh, I, well, he, God. So I listened to, I was assigned um, uh, by Lindsay, I think.
6: <laughs> yep. <by me>. Psychobabble. <laughs> I know Bobby would um, like. Because Lauren gave
1: us a list of podcasts we decided from them. Yep. So I got Psychobabble, which is Tyler Oakley's podcast. Tyler Oakley is a vlogger who's arguably one of the most famous vloggers from the United States, at least. He's featured on, he's on Ellen a lot. He's right. the most They're famous. friends. Right. Yeah. Um, he's a YouTube celebrity. He's a YouTube celebrity, celebrity early. So like he started on YouTube when he was uh, probably a late teen, just out of high school. And so it's uh, this sort of watching this gay teen grow up and become a gay man. And he's grown up in front of all these people and people like him. He's charming. I personally... Uh, am both threatened and jealous of yeah. every gay person, <laughs> which is just my own issue. And
6: what does he actually like, so, talk
1: about? Well, his it's, oh, it's he's
6: talked about everything. He.
1: His vlogs are just like, I had a bad date, or I I went on an interview, and like something, so it's it's chronicling his life. Good morning everybody, my name is Tyler Oakley, and today I am daily vlogging, because I feel like it's a really big day in my life, uh, for a lot of reasons, and I won't tell you why right now, I'll just bring you along for my day. But it's sort of, you feel like he's leaving a lot of stuff out? And so the podcast is pitched as, like, all the stories that I don't tell on my videos. So it's a little more personal. An unfiltered half hour of gossip sessions, pop culture scrutiny, and stories we've never told in videos. It's not just crazy talk. It's psychobabble. But they don't really talk about anything. I listened to two episodes, the year-end one that went over their faves of the year. Um, (laughs) Surprise, everything's Lady Gaga. (laughs) And um,
0: I mean, can't we just start with your, like, fave album or fave
1: song? Tell me, yeah. Well, what is it? Obviously, Joanne <laughs> is your favorite album of the year. I would have to say it. In it's, it's only competition.
0: Well, there's oh, there's a
1: couple. There's a couple. I
0: I highlighted some. That what I there. haven't
1: mentioned is that he has a co-host, and that co-host. If you thought it was strange that a YouTuber could become this famous, his co-host is only famous because he's the co- he's Tyler's roommate. Oh. <laughs> so there's a wait, guy named Corey wait. Cool. He's very
0: qualified. If you have become famous on the computer and you probably make some money. Mm -hmm. Why why do you need a roommate? That's what I said to Bobby. Because the roommate,
1: they were roommates as Tyler was starting to become famous. And I Mm. think they must've realized that as a duo,
3: their right. brand is a little better. What's amazing about so YouTube they've been on the amazing race together. is that
6: everyone they ever come into contact who's in their videos, same with Vine, same with all this, becomes part of it, and then they launch their own things. So right. This so, guy, so this guy oh Corey, God. Corey Cool, he's he also famous thing.
1: in his own right, but the only reason he's famous is because he was Tyler's roommate. Uh, none of these reasons are important. The fact is that he's famous and he has fans.
6: You know, the more but they talk
1: about pop culture in a very general, vague way, and it's a lot of gasping. The more you are, the less
6: you actually have to do anything, right? Like, right. Because you, your voice is enough. You're, you're like, I can just improv it. I'm good. Yeah. Just, just get me a microphone, I'll just do it. And
1: his fans like it because it's more of the same. Yeah. You know? Right.
6: Right. Yeah,
0: they like him. Right. It's yeah. like an extension of his diary mm-hmm. brand yeah. thing. Okay. We're you're revealing
1: right. things that he, he So mentioned. you're
0: saying you loved it. to your new favorite podcast. <laughs> okay. So so we knocked Don't out look. one. All right. Lindsay,
6: you're oh, up. What man. do you have? Oh, mine was so bad. I had to listen to um, Straight Talk with Ross Matthews. One T. <laughs> If you don't know who Ross Matthews is, he got his start as an intern on The Tonight Show, Mm -hmm. and he did um, Man on the Street bits for them. And it was a very bad experience to watch because you felt like they were making fun of him, which they were.
0: Right. Let's bring him out.
3: Ross, tell us what you did. Ross, the intern. Hi! Hello? Hi! What did I say?
2: It's. Hey,
0: how you doing? It's- no, with you
6: and your me, it's like this. Oh, <laughs> but luckily, Ross was smart enough to take that persona and uh, spin it off. He's like on E. He does like all Red the kind fashion. of yeah, and, and he's a commentator. So he has a show called Straight Talk.
2: He's the gay best friend you wish you had and know you need.
0: This is tough love, honey. Now here he is, Ross Matthews. Give me some
6: straight talk, straight talk, and hold the with please. So it's him and two other people who I could not tell you what their names are because the entire podcast is people screaming. Let's go
0: around. (laughs) Uh, Nikki's here. Hi. Hi. Joshua is here. I remembered what I was going to
1: (laughs) say. What do they scream about?
0: Like celebrities.
6: Celebrities. (laughs) Ah! I also um, listened to the Alec Baldwin podcast, which I have more to say about.
0: That Okay.
2: This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing, my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers.
0: All right, so here's the thing with Alec Baldwin, who is most certainly a them. He
6: is, but here's my argument. Okay. This show, <laughs> which I listen to regularly and actually um enjoy, is very, makes him a who. Or who's him. In the show, he is a who. Because all he does, which is so charming, is, like, suck up to the people that are on his show. Yeah. But in such an extraordinary way that, like... <laughs> It's unbelievable to hear where he'll just be like, you are just like the most fantastic. Oh, this is fantastic.
2: You're the most talented woman that was ever on TV. Because there's a lot of people who are like you and they did some things that were great. But none of them did as much as you did, as well as you
1: did. Oh, wow, thank you.
2: Happy- I
6: love the idea of Alec Baldwin, like, doing research for his interviews because it involves him, like, spending hours reading Vanity Fair, old Vanity Fair <laughs> articles, and, like, watching... On
1: microfilm. You know,
6: like, like he interviewed Questlove.
2: His family and folks close to him call him Amir. That's Amir Khalib Thompson. But you probably know him as Questlove. Philly native music history savant and drummer and music director for the Grammy award winning hip hop group The Roots.
6: I love the idea of him like listening to old Roots records and like <laughs> you know um, watching YouTube videos and like he just Taking cries notes really that's hard. Does he that does
1: yoga beside him? He,
6: he is like Terry Gross but also like Mark Marin which I love.
0: <laughs> but that I feel like is uh there's some value add to that particular celebrity oh, podcast. 100% because he didn't need to do that. No, yeah. and
6: that's what's amazing is that you can tell that he's so passionate. And one day he just woke up and said, you know, I'd love a talk show. <laughs> and I yeah. love the radio. <laughs> so I, I want to present that as like, Ross Matthews, not for me. Alec Baldwin, who I normally don't love that much, extremely charmed by that podcast. Yeah.
0: Are there any celebrities who you would love to um, listen to on a podcast? Like who, Who would you just say, please? I would love if Rosie O'Donnell came back in talk show format. You know that's surprising that she doesn't have one that seems a very natural medium for her. Her.
6: So her and then the other one, which like is Oprah. I could have listened to her talk for a hundred years.
0: Okay. So so that's a that's a pretty good collection of people who have podcasts, people who should have podcasts. I mean, there are probably people we could get to who shouldn't have podcasts, but... There are plenty of people that shouldn't have podcasts.
1: Yeah. I was about to say us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Never. Never. Lindsay Weber and Bobby Finger are the hosts of the podcast, Who Weekly, from HeadGum. To find out about their show or any of the shows we had them review, hit up biglisten.org. It's got the details. Well, we've almost reached the end of this week's episode. Don't worry, you don't have to grab a hanky. But before we let you go... It's time C-H-A-Chart- for chartography. Char- Fra- kind of <roomtroope> chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts. But we're not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289, which, in a massive field of tens of thousands, is actually pretty great. Okay, so this week is... my on. Hold on. Oh, goodness. Okay. I just have to get myself organized for this. This week, 289 is The Sporkful from WNYC Studios. It is hosted by a gent named Dan Pashman. And it is, uh, he calls it a show that is not for foodies, but for eaters. And who among us is not an eater? So I guess it's for all of us. I listened to an episode with uh, Conan O'Brien's sidekick, Andy Richter. We should order some food. Yes, we should. And they talked about how Andy Richter didn't buy a Porsche uh, with all of his um, his Hollywood money. He bought a Sub Zero. Refrigerator.
2: If I have a midlife crisis, it is this refrigerator.
0: Basically like a refrigerator that you would see at a restaurant.
2: Yeah, and it has glass doors.
0: Um, and he talks about how amazing it is to have this fancy refrigerator, which I guess it would be, I don't know, I've only ever been a renter, and the refrigerators I have like always are missing a shelf. I don't know. Anyway, what am I saying? Um, I listened to another episode, which was a call-in question, and it was a question that I have always wondered. Is it okay to save seats in a crowded restaurant?
1: So you're having a struggle with yourself. What
3: do you see as the two sides of the argument?
0: Uh, I will tell you that no, it is not okay to save seats at a crowded restaurant. That is my call. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Anyway, the Sporkful from Dan Pashman and WNYC Studios. If you're an eater, you're probably going to like it. Would you think I was telling you an alternative fact if I told you that this podcast is a weekly thing that you can get delivered to your digital device every single week for free and all you have to do is hit the subscribe button to make it happen? Well, I hope you wouldn't think it was an alternative fact because it's actually the truth. Go to iTunes or NPR One or any fine purveyor of podcasts to subscribe. As always, we love us some listener feedback. Please like us on Facebook and or follow us on Twitter. We're at Hear Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R, Big Listen. So follow us. We're really fun. If you want to send us love notes, our electronic mail address is BigListen at WAMU.org. We welcome any and all. Looking for show notes with all the links to this week's featured shows? We'll fire on up our website, BigListen.org. It's all there. Or subscribe to our official newsletter. There's a link on the website. The show today was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenson with a big lift from our favorite millennial, Ponce Rutch. I, Lauren Ober, was sleeping off the week. David Shulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army-Navy, the band, not the store. The big listen is the brainchild of boss lady Annie McDaniel and her boss man, J.J. Yore, and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a final word from James T. Green on the efforts to make podcasting more than just two white dudes talking.
3: I don't know. Newsflash, hire more non-white, non-men, non-cis people because they, they will find the talent. They will find the topics. They will find the interesting things that will shake up podcasting. I mean, like, Give them jobs. Give them their coins. Like, I feel like all that starts from there. Because if you have someone with a different perspective at the table, behind the mic, you're going to get that. It's going to happen.
0: So, if the podcasting world wants to fix its diversity problem, you can probably start by making some job offers. Till next time, keep listening, America. This is NPR. Hey, what are you still doing here? I mean, you can stay if you want, but the show's finished. But while you're here, maybe you hop on over to iTunes and leave us a review. It really, really helps other very attractive listeners such as yourselves find the show. I cannot express that enough. So leave us a review, please and thanks.